0: Inside Vegas is presented by MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the official online sportsbook of the Inside Vegas podcast, as well as the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. Use promo code SGP50 to receive a 50% deposit bonus today. Inside Vegas is also brought to you by Odd Shark. Odd Shark has the latest betting trends available nowhere else, as well as betting picks from their supercomputer. Check out all of their quality content and betting trends at oddshark.com. Welcome into the Inside Vegas podcast. I hope you guys had a great Easter, a little candy, the whole nine yards Easter bunny. Uh, Today, we're going to be bringing on the start of a series uh, titled Niche Handicapping. And what I'm going to be doing is taking a look at some of the sharpest minds in different areas that you may not think uh, as far as... Niche markets or small markets that have, you know, that aren't as popular as, say, the football or baseball or basketball markets of the world. And whether that be tennis, um, possibly WWE, UFC, uh, some markets that can be exploited, but guys who only specialize in one area. Um, And kind of how to get money down and kind of what is the best kind of way to go about doing this. And the first part of this series is with Daniel Levy of Best Fight Picks uh, for UFC. And what we're going to be talking about is kind of MMA handicapping in general, philosophies, kind of how it is that we break down certain UFC fights. Uh, he also does, uh, I believe, a couple of Bellator stuff, um, basically all things within the MMA betting community. Um, Daniel has been doing this for over three years now. He has a three-year three, uh, three year track record that's been all third-party tracked. Um, I do want to preface this by saying he is a picks seller, um, and he sells picks, but he does it the right way, which is why I wanted to have him on the show, because he's one of, if not the, uh, he's persons person whose opinion I respect the most when it comes to UFC and MMA betting. Uh, he really is. And he has proven himself. He was free for over three years and he's taken the next step. Um, and so for anyone who's going to come on here and say, you know, <clears throat> I can't believe you had a, someone who sells picks on this show and kind of all that stuff. Let me tell you, I'm here to tell you, he, he sells picks and he does it the right way. And I can't say that enough. Um, and so again, for anyone who's going to say that, I, I don't really know what to tell you because at the end of the day, there's a thought process that I subscribe to that. One, if you're good at something, never do it for free. Uh, And number two, fighting in UFC is a little bit different in that it's all film-based handicapping. And that entails hours upon hours upon hours of fight breakdowns and film study. And for anyone that doesn't know, I've always kind of kept these these two worlds separate, um, but I do, in fact, sell my picks for UFC um, on social media uh, through my Twitter account. Um, I've always kept the two worlds separate because I didn't want one to kind of influence the other, and I still don't, um, And which is kind of why I brought on uh, Daniel Levy to do this show um, because I didn't want it to just be or anyone have the misconception that it was me up here trying to sell UFC picks and stuff like that. Um, they're two different worlds, and, and one is k- kind of completely separate from the other, and that's kind of where I wanted to keep it, which, is, again, is why I brought on Daniel Levy of Best Fight Picks. And we're going to be breaking down, um, again, UFC, kind of what goes into it, the market as a whole, because it's a little bit unique in that there's very low limits sometimes, um, especially at openers, uh, and kind of what goes into you know being able to bet uh, UFC professionally, full-time, and kind of where where that conversation will take us both philosophically uh, and from a market perspective. And, bonusly, we're going to be breaking down UFC 223 on April 7th, which is now Max Holloway versus Khabib Nurmagomedov at the Barclays Center at Bro- in Brooklyn, New York. Um, so, I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, I really do. Daniel is, again, one of the best uh, UFC minds in the industry. Again, full-time, professional UFC better. Uh, so, I hope you guys enjoy it, and enjoy the UFC event on April the 7th. And now joining me on the Inside Vegas podcast is one Daniel Levy of BestFightPicks.com. How are you doing today, my friend? Doing amazing, Christian.
1: Thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, It's finally good to talk to you, man.
0: I know. We've been kind of behind the scenes for a very long time. And it's funny as, you know, I've always kind of kept the UFC world separate from from the content that I put out, but sometimes they mesh and I'm so glad that that they did in in this situation with you. Um, Again, we've talked about this at, at length of kind of. The, the pros and cons and the ups and downs of people selling picks on twitter um but you completely do it the right way and, and not that i'm bringing you on here to to plug your service or anything like that but uh let's just kind of start out with you know kind of how what led you to being you know one of the premier uh picks makers of ufc kind of in the industry and especially um within social media and stuff so just kind of give a, a brief background of your story and introduction into betting ufc uh, full-time and professionally really
1: well, man, it's a long story, but I'll make it short. And look, it all started off as a teen. You know, one of my best friends, we'll call him Prince. He's a, you know, a pro poker player. He was top 10 World Series of poker. And, you know, as a teen, as, a, you know, 18 years old, 19 years old, I'd see him going to all these local tournaments and, you know, it, it's a 10K buy in and. You know, the kid had six figures by the time he was 20 years old. I'm like, what the hell is he doing, man? You know, and I never wanted to work a nine to five. I, it's just not for me. So much respect to anyone that does. But for me, I always wanted something more. And I was a musician for about 15 years. I played the drums, you know, in every club in Atlanta tour did, did the whole bit. But you come home and you make no money. You have to be super lucky to make it in the music industry. It's not about how talented you are. You have to it's almost like a team sport. You have to rely on on a bunch of other people to, you know, to make it far in that. And I was just like, listen, man, I want to rely on myself only and on my own hard work. And around the time I was 17, 18, you know, I was getting in trouble in school, getting suspended on a weekly basis. I couldn't give two fucks about school. And, uh, you know, my parents uh, put me in martial arts, man. And actually, it's funny because, you know, I play, I did karate growing up and then I played baseball, soccer, the whole bit. But I was really starting to get into trouble, you know, 16, 17 years old. So then I started taking Muay Thai, and then I stopped getting in trouble. I started becoming very disciplined. And, you know, you'd come home from school. The Pride event would be on. A UFC event would be on. You see guys like Chuck Liddell, Forrest Griffin, Rampage Jackson. I was like, man, this is the best sport in the world. It's so pure. It's so intense. And I just loved every second of it. I fell in love right away. And uh, the first pay-per-view I bought, look, I watched a bunch, you know, with my friends. But the first one I personally bought was UFC 88 when Chuck Liddell fought Rashad Evans in Atlanta, Georgia. And, you know, obviously I couldn't afford to go at the time. I am from Atlanta. And I watched it and I was just like, okay, I'm buying every single pay-per-view from this point
2: on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it really did, man. And, uh, you know, ever since then, I was like, well, man, if I'm spending so much time watching this stuff and it's really taken over, I might as well make money doing it too. And, you know, like I mentioned about my friend who, you know, is very successful at, at, uh, at gambling, you know, he started running his own book, you know, he started going to, on weekend Vegas trips, he was doing everything. I was just like, all right, wh- wh- what do I got to do to get on this guy's level and uh, you know, it started off. Uh, you you got to learn the hard way. You know, you do the five-team parlays, and yep. you, you you get you get one right, and then you think you're god, and then you lose the next ten, and it's like, okay, well, that that's not going to work. So then I started picking little specific spots. Like for example, when Nate Diaz fought Jim Miller at UFC on Fox, and I remember I had a gig that night. Like I said, I'm uh, I used to be a drummer. I was in a rock band at the time, and uh, that night. Was the night that Jim fought Nate, and I had a bet on Nate at plus two twenty. You know, I was like, okay, that line seems kind of off. You know, let, let's let's play that, and it won. And I was like, oh shit, maybe <laughs>
2: you get that plus money it and it was all history from there.
1: <laughs> it's like maybe there is something to these underdogs. But look, I had to take my licks, and I'm still taking my licks, man. I mean, I remember the first ever. A non-title five-round main event between Chris Lieben and Mark Munoz, and Chris Lieben was a plus two hundred underdog, and he was just coming off knocking out Vanderlei Silva in about twenty-seven seconds. And I was like, "All right, Chris Lieben's in the best form of his career. He's a plus two hundred dog. Let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and bet this guy." And then uh, he quits on the stool in between rounds, and it turns out that he tested positive. For oxycontin, to the point where he was actually on oxycontin in the fight itself, and yeah, you know, you had to take your licks. The first UFC event I ever went to was in Houston. Uh, Frankie Edgar versus Gray manor, the trilogy. I actually went with my buddy Prince that I've been telling you about, and he actually hit a five-team parlay that night. And uh, I know from time to time you get lucky, but eventually, you know, I had to get the strategy right. Mm-hmm. And what I've came up with is. I, I'm really into the underdogs and the slight favorites and man uh, now I have a three-year track record you know all third-party tracked up 90 units and you know to you know to a lot of people that might seem like a lot but to me I'm not satisfied at all I want to take it all the way and uh, that's uh, in a nutshell what happened man. That's
0: perfect man and there's so many good things into kind of what you said as we should transition this into kind of philosophy and stuff like that and to me there's we have a little bit different um kind of viewpoint philosophically on how we handicap fights i i utilize a parlay a little bit more than you absolutely i, I mean my my max is a two-team parlay I, or two fighter parlay i will never go anything over that um and you stay away from them and that's kind of what i wanted to, to kind of break into here to me the one thing i've learned betting ufc for as long as i have is that the public is going to do two things they're going to bet every underdog because they want to bet a little bit to win a lot or they're going to parlay every single favorite uh, to get kind of that into that, you know, maybe minus 120, minus 110, even money range. And so as a, you know, when you kind of look through these event cards and you look kind of at the results and things like that, it's funny to me because there's always seemed to be one kind of public parlay buster. There's always, you know, a couple underdogs that hit. But for the most part, you can't bet, every, you know, you have to kind of pick and choose your spots with this. And, and it's so it's so funny to me that there's always every single car. There seems to be one. One kind of public parlay buster of one huge favorite that goes down because the general public loves making these three, four, five fighter parlays, and it just never works out like that. Um, So kind of what is, you know, are you more film-based? You know, how do you kind of go about your day-to-day
2: handicapping of UFC?
1: Well, back to the parlay talk real quick, man. I mean, look, they call parlays a bookmaker's dream or a sucker bet. And this is one of the reasons, among many reasons, Christian, why I have so much respect for you because You're actually able to make it work, and for me, you know, I feel like it's it's hard enough to call one fight correctly, let alone two. But if you're going to do a parlay, I agree with you. It has to be two team max and nothing more, and and it has to be for rare occasions. So, you know, much respect uh, to you for making it work almost every single event. But as far as the handicapping goes, it's different than other sports. You know, with. Sports like baseball, you know, there's a lot of guys on the team, and and all these other all these other team sports, you know, there's there's statistics involved. People have uh, ways they do it with their computers and all this shit. It's not like that here in MMA handicapping, man. You have to watch tons of film, and you don't watch film, you know, because oh, this fight is so exciting, and I love watching this guy fight. Sometimes you got to watch two guys clinch each other up against the fence for three straight rounds. That's my and, porn,
0: man.
2: That is my porn. People are like, know, oh, this fight is hey, so
0: man. bad. Like, no, man. <laughs> that's like watching a, a you know a first half or a full game football under and it's 3 nothing going to the fourth. Like, to me, that there is nothing better than that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you have to see how the styles match up. And one thing that's helped me, and, you know, I'm not trying to sit here and be like, oh, I'm Mr. Martial Arts or this or that or any of that bullshit, but I truly believe – that training martial arts has given me a better understanding of the sport itself. Cause for example, you know, with, with a casual fan, you see someone in side control, you see someone, you know, on, on their back. And, you know, someone at the bar is like, get up. And it's like, well, do you know what chest on chest feels like? There's a reason this person can't get back up. And once you start, you know, doing a little jujitsu, you start doing a little Muay Thai, you start to understand the sport a little more. Then you have to put all the hours of film in, see how they do with similar matchups And uh, take it from there. And then obviously the line comes into play too. You know, uh, like I said earlier, I really like underdogs and slight favorites. But a lot of people know me lately for my max bets. And what I'm trying to do with that is I'm trying to exploit a mismatch. And obviously the worst line I'll do is minus 250 for a max bet because basically let's say the line is minus 250. That's the absolute worst that I'll put, you know, a a big wager on. If you put five units on a minus 250, you get two units in return, assuming you win, right? So let's say you do three bets at minus 250, right? You win six units of profit because you you get two per each. And then let's say you lose the fourth one. So you're still up one unit. So that's why, you know, assuming your hit rate is pretty accurate – Minus 250 is the absolute worst. I'll go for a max bet. And it has to be a serious mismatch. And minus 250 is the worst I'll do, like I said. But I like to exploit these matchups, you know, such as Mickey Gall versus Randy Brown. You know, in my opinion, a kid like Mickey Gall, I don't think he has any business in the UFC. And when he got that matchup with Randy Brown, you know, it was, uh, it opened minus 175, Randy Brown. I thought it should have been minus 375. And then all the action came in on Mickey Gall. And I'm like, well, this guy's only been in there with a journalist. He's only been in there with a reporter. He's only been in there with CM Punk. And now you're putting him in there with a guy who just went three rounds with Bilal Muhammad? Right. I'm like, okay, that's what you call a max bet. Another example, this kid, uh, Mateus Nicolau. You know, he was a uh, minus 175 against luis Smolka. luis Smolka, you know, one of the biggest uh, hype derailments in recent memory, man. You know, he was on the verge of getting a title shot and then he lost four straight in a row. And this kid, Nicolau was coming off beating the number five guy on planet Earth, John Moraga, as an underdog, And then he gets suspended with USADA. Now, it's interesting because with USADA suspensions, people have a lot of misconceptions. They think automatically because someone got suspended by USADA, they're going to come back looking soft. And that's just not the case, Christian, because, you know, a lot of people don't talk about this, man. What about Brian T. City Ortega? No one ever mentions the fact that that kid popped too. But see, the thing that I'm trying to say here is when you got a guy like Brian T. City Ortega, when you got a guy like Mateus Nikolai, you know, they're between 24 to 26 years old, it doesn't really matter for guys like that. You saw it matters when you're talking about a guy like Vitor Belfort. You know when you're talking about these old cats, that's when it matters. And Another recent example, you know, there was this guy uh, Carlos Diego Ferreira, and he was coming off fights with Benil Daru, fights with Dustin Poirier, fights with OAM Olivier Aubin Mercier, and you know he had a you suspension. He comes back two years later, and he's taking on a guy named Jared Gordon. Who you know who the fuck is Jared Gordon? Right? And, and Jared Gordon's
2: referred to as a jobber.
1: Exactly. And Jared Gordon's a minus 300 favorite just because Carlos uh, Diego had a USADA sp- suspension and Carlos Diego smoked them in under two minutes. So you just have to look at the spot. Was the person good prior to them getting suspended or were they already an old man? You know, if Eric Silva ever gets suspended, don't, uh, don't think that he's going to come back looking better. You know what I mean, Christian?
0: Yeah, absolutely, brother. Again, there's so much to go into it and kind of what you just said and, and to me why i got into ufc kind of full-time as as my 1a sport <clears throat> was because it was it was i like to eliminate variants in the in the baseball market i play mostly first fives because i want to eliminate the variance of bullpens um so i look at markets where i can kind of hone in on one specific thing whether it's props whatever it is um and so for ufc i love the fact that it was one person versus one person so stylistically you can you know styles make fights is the number one thing you hear any ufc handicap Per se, right styles make fights styles make fights the second thing is is dog or pass so i want to kind of get into that with you because uh, i don't know where i fall on this I've, I've been going back and forth lately as i've kind of you know progressed in in my ufc stuff there's no value in a losing ticket right so if somebody is you know you know khabib for example this is a great we're going to get into the ufc pay-per-view event coming up here but just as an example of, of something i mean there is a ton of, of quote-unquote value on Holloway at plus three, 385, right? I mean, there's, there's no denying that, that that line's a little bit inflated, I would say. Um, but I get the end of the day, it, it doesn't matter if it doesn't win. Um, you know, over the long term, you can kind of, you know, you'll hit a, a few of those if you're always playing the value picks. But where people kind of get into trouble is when they say, oh, well, there's value here, but you only play it, you know, that one time. You don't play it every time that you deem that there's quote-unquote value in the line. Now, as, you know, a slight favorite and an underdog better like yourself, how do you kind of navigate that, you know, well, there's value in here, but at the end of the day, it's kind of only who's going to win. So how do you kind of go about that?
1: Well, firstly, I want to touch on what you just said, man, because there's been a trend going on with these short notice guys. The the people who take the fight on short notice come out and win. You know, you look at a fight like Ricardo Lamas versus Josh Emmett. And, you know, Ricardo Lamas, he was initially supposed to fight someone else. I don't remember who, but this kid Josh Emmett, he gets the call on a couple weeks short notice, maybe even a week short notice, comes in as an underdog, as a plus 250 underdog Christian, and he knocks out Ricardo Lamas in the very first round. Another example, Frankie Edgar was supposed to fight Max Holloway. Max Holloway pulls out of the fight and they give the call to Brian T. City Ortega on a week short notice. Ortega comes out there, knocks him out in the first round. Another example, a personal friend of mine who is a regional scene fighter, his name is Diego Bautista. He had a matchup with, you know, with a short wrestler. And uh, in my opinion, he was going to smoke him. But Two days before the fight, the short wrestler pulls out of the fight, and then they give him a tall wrestler. Excuse me, a tall striker. And Diego still takes the fight, and then he gets knocked out in the first round. So that's kind of an interesting thing right now with this Khabib versus Max situation, because I kind of consider Max to be a top three pound for pound fighter. It's just when you're when you're training to fight a guy like Khabib you need a full camp man you need monster Russian wrestlers in there to help you with your get-up game to help you with your wall walking to help you with your takedown defense with everything so the short notice is interesting but at the same time the trend's been going these letdown spots it's a real fucking thing Christian so you know it's interesting but as far as you know deciphering the slight favorites and the underdogs look what you're talking about with passing is, you know, a fifty-fifty fight, you know, a fight where, you know, you flip a coin, who's gonna win this and that. But I got a good example for you. There was somewhat of a pick'em a couple years back between Danny Castillo and Paul Felder. And you know, it's a little bit more than a pick'em. Uh Paul Felder was about plus one fifty. But no one knew who the hell Paul Felder was, and Danny Castillo was the name guy. You know, Danny Castillo, he's got a win over Dustin Poirier. He went to a split decision with Edson Barboza and Tony Ferguson, right? He was the the popular guy. But no one knew who the hell Paul Felder was. But if you go and you watch the regional tape, you'll know exactly who Paul Felder is. Paul Felder comes in there, looks like a future world champion against Danny Castillo and knocks him out with a spinning backfist. So, yeah, the line showed, you know, it was plus 150. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a close fight. But in reality, it wasn't a close fight at all. And that's where the film comes in. You get to exploit these mismatches that are lined closely, kind of like Luis Smolka versus Mateus Nicola, like I was explaining earlier. Another good example. I don't know if you know who Kylan Curran is. I'm sure you do because Absolutely. she went she went about one in six in her UFC career, right? And in her last fight, she was fighting the number one Chinese uh female fighter, Yan Zonan, and it opened minus 130,
2: yeah, we didn't that one thirty. Yan Zonan. That was a nice
1: no sweat. You know, I put five units on it. My partner and co host of Half the Battle, Shaq, put 10 units on it, and it was a you know, a complete domination. So in spots like that, yeah, it's minus 130, minus 110. However, to me, it's minus 430. <laughs> you know you know what I'm saying? So right. you look at the line and it says one thing, and then you watch the film and it says another thing. So I hope that answers your question, man.
2: Yeah, bro, and that's the thing that I want – like I said, it, it comes down to film,
0: and, and as people will always say, that styles make fights. So how do you – you know, how do we go about handicapping this? Well, to me, it's film, right? So you have to look at fighters who fight – similar to the upcoming fight you know what style you know nobody really has pressure like a khabib but you know who has the most pressure that you know holloway has faced and so that's how you you know have for each different fight like that that's kind of how i that's my starting place um and, and that's kind of how i go is how each person will deal with you know that type of fighter um so going back to, you know, slight underdogs and dog play, what what kind of, you know, I know you said you took your lumps and parlays and, and you made every single mistake that, that, you know, that I have made that anyone that does UFC handicapping full-time has made is, you know, like you said, we've always taken our lumps, we've always taken them on the chin, and we learn from it. And that's kind of what separates people, I think. Um, but what is it that, you know... What kind of was there anything specific that led you away from the styles of you know big favorites? Um, you know, especially lately, there's been a lot of big underdogs. I mean, Benil Dariush came, you know, got knocked the fuck out uh, by Alexander the Great. Um, you know, and I'll Christian. Know. Yep. So
1: sorry, to, sorry to interrupt you, but that's another example of what I was talking about. Benil Dariush was supposed to fight Bobby Green, and then Bobby pulls out. They get the short notice filling, and it's like Benny, you're not supposed to take a fight like that, man. You're a top 15 guy. You have a win over James Vick. You have a win over Michael Johnson. You have a win over Rashid Magomedov. Don't put your top fifteen spot on the line With for someone who's ne- who no one's ever heard of. Just like Lamas and Emmett, no one knows who Emmett is. He's coming off a win over Felipe Arranches and Ricardo Lamas, who's a top five guy, is going to risk his top five spot for this. This. So that's what I'm saying. These short notice Phillips man, you got to be super careful.
0: Completely agree, and, and that's what's kind of for everyone that's Max Bay and P- Max play and parlaying and Khabib up, I, I wish you luck but that's that's interesting, man. You, you you know you don't make money fading Max Holloway, you know, long term and stuff like that. And again, I know we're gonna, I don't want to touch on the UFC pay per view yet because we're going to kind of break it down at the end. But um, so you got started in this space um, via podcast, which is something that not a lot of people, especially in the UFC community, started. Um, so what I want to kind of talk about now is, is kind of how you transition into uh, selling plays, which is what you do now. Again, which is my my UFC selections are, are up as well. And and this is why this is kind of unique for anyone that doesn't know is. Myself and Dan, we both sell picks. Um, And so there's this kind of connotation that, you know, we shouldn't it's a competition between us, it's it's business, it's, you know, my clients could be his clients or, or we're taking stuff back and forth, and to me, it couldn't be further from the truth, and again, I talked about why Dan is on the show as, as kind of one of the people that do things the right way, um, and, and I think that there's a, a ton that can be gained from his insight and, and stuff like that, but I want to talk about how kind of, you know, half the battle was always one of my favorite, or still is to this day, you know, one of my favorite, it is my favorite MMA podcast, but it's my, one of my favorite podcasts in general, um, so kind of how, what's the evolution between you and your partner kind of going going from, you know, you were completely free, you were giving picks out on the podcast completely free into kind of the business that you've grown into today, Um, because there's kind of, there's, you know, people will always have bad things to say about people who sell picks, there's, there's nothing that, you know, we can kind of do from to take it, you know, to kind of put those haters in their place, but kind of just what's the evolution been like for you and kind of where you are today, as far as, you know, the business aspect of selling picks and going from free podcast to kind of where you are now?
1: Well, I felt like I kind of had to prove myself, man. I felt like if I would have sold picks from the start while I was kind of learning on the job, it just wouldn't be right. And, you know, I could have done that, but I, wouldn't, I didn't feel like it was right. I felt like I had to get to a certain point before I could offer a service. And to me, it's more than just selling picks no, because
2: – But again, when he says a certain point, this was – you were giving picks away for
0: three years, right, for free? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's people that are going tout after two weeks. Just to put that in perspective, like kind of how long and, and how much and how well you've done in this space for so long. But sorry, continue.
1: And those three years were all my three years that were third-party documented and tracked. You know, I was still doing it before that, and I was learning the ropes, man. Like I told you when we first started talking, you know, you, you get burnt on those five-team parlays. You do all the mistakes. You know, you lay the chalk on fucking Henan and brow to be TJ Dillashaw the first time. <laughs> Exactly. You know, you have to take your lumps. And you know. then once I started tracking my plays and the first event was the first time that John Jones fought DC, I actually had a max bet on that as well. You start tracking your plays and you start to realize what you're good at, what you're bad at, and that overall the strategy I do does work long term. And, you know, everyone likes to talk about long term, but I mean, you really got to emphasize it, man. It's a big fucking deal because a lot of these newer guys, you know, you lose one event, you lose two events. Oh, man, now you suck. Now you're the worst. But it's like, OK, but how am I going to come out at the end of the year? And that's all that matters to me is that long term game, man. So it's
2: like Billy Walter said, man, I've had losing weeks, losing months, but never losing years.
1: That's right, baby. That's one of the best quotes of all time. So, you know, three years into third party documenting my, my plays, it was like, okay, I, I can do this. I know what I'm doing. And it's more than just selling the plays now, man. It, it's offering a service because, you know, we do have a VIP service and, you know, if my clients want to call me at, uh, at 4 a, at 4am and ask me my opinion on something, they're, they're more than uh, welcome to, which uh, I kind of hope they don't call me at that time. But I'm just saying the service, uh it's really to help people out, man. And it's also, you know, I felt like uh, I'm getting uh, what I'm worth, you know what I mean? At this point, man, when uh, you're putting up the kind of numbers that I've been putting up, uh, you kind of have to, you kind of have to sell it, man. It's a service now and we have a bunch of clients now and it's been going really well. So yeah, it was just basically the next uh, logical progression in the evolution of best fight picks. Yeah, man.
0: It's like the joker said, bro, I have this tattooed on my arm. If you go to something, never do it for free um and so there's again there's always going to be negative people there's always going to be detractors because one you know even you know this will happen to me this this will happen you know we're going to lose events i'm going to say that right off the bat um it's true for anyone we're going to lose bets i mean nobody's hit rate is 100 percent. and so you know when people say you know oh i just want to try you for one event or i just want to do you know i just want to i just want some action well there's you know you need to take a step back and decide how seriously that you want to pursue this as a second income or per- potentially um, your main income because one event is it, it ain't shit right one month truly ain't shit it's all about the long term sample size and When you kind of break, when you kind of get into the weeds of this, and and you go for a very long time, I mean, to kind of put this into other aspects of football, some of the, you know, I do some work. I I know a lot of, of of very sharp syndicate groups and and people that are very big market influencers. And to kind of get with them, I mean, you don't. I mean, they're talking. They need three, four, five, six year sample sizes. I mean, to you know, to kind of when you can get get on board with them or when they'll you know talk to you. It's just you know a hundred hundred fights or a hundred games isn't really a big sample size. There's still variance that can happen. Um, so to me again, I, I echo those sentiments exactly of how it's all about the long term because variance will happen. There's going to be things. I mean the last <laughs> the, the the last fight or the last set of fights on UFC fight night. I mean uh, the, there was two knockouts within what with on the last very last second of the event. I mean you talk about variants. I mean Luke Sanders comes to mind of somebody who dominated a fight pillar to post and then tapped on a, a kind of a fluke uh, you know, leg lock or, you know, I'll never forget Mirsad Bektik going off as my, I mean, what was he live? Do you remember minus 9,000 when he lost to Elkins? Like it was, it was absolutely insane. Kind of the variance that can happen week to week or, or even second to second in this sport. It is absolutely crazy. The variance that can happen. So I can't echo those sentiments enough. that it's completely a long-term thing.
1: Yeah. And how about uh Ankaliyev? You know, he's about to get a 30, <laughs> 26, And one second left in the fight and he taps out. You know, it's uh, these flukes happen from time to time. But if you're good enough, uh, you'll be able to weather the storms, weather the flukes and come out winning long term. And you you mentioned how, you know, what happens if you lose one event? Because, you know, because some of these, you know, $50 bettors, $20 bettors or whatever that only want to sign up for one event, they get really pissed off. Okay, you can have the next event free. It's no big deal. You know, as long as you end up in profit, that's my long term goal. But. You know the re- the guy, and I say the real betters, but the bigger betters. You know the guys that are betting, you know, a thousand per unit and stuff like that, or even more. They understand that they're not getting bummed off of losing one or two events because they know what they paid for, they know what they invested in, and they know that long term the job is going to get done.
2: Exactly, bro. It's all about kind of the clientele
0: and your clients. I always said this: that clients will make or break a business for you because. When they when they understand that it's a long term thing, there is nothing better than not having to you know explain yourself. I mean, of course you're going to explain a loss, but I mean, if things are you know they're they're up and down and, and you lose you know an event or two, it, it's so great to be able to to know that you have the type of clients that get it and you know again the track record that you have and that you know people have it, it'll speak for themselves long term and, and so I, I completely can't. But um, I want to talk about the UFC market because something interesting happened. Our our boy Nick Kalikas uh, is no longer at Five Dimes. Um, And so with that, for anyone that doesn't know or isn't really familiar with the UFC or MMA market, the whole world, basically, even Las Vegas, goes off of Five Dimes. Five Dimes is the consensus opener. Um, Some UK books, obviously, um, they'll open up separately. They go off their own stuff. They have their own odds makers. But for the US, Las Vegas goes off of Five Dimes. And... So it's a very weird market. Some at, at um, it, it, within Las Vegas, outside of a main event like a big money main event, um, like the Conor McGregor fights. Um, main events are about maybe a one to two thousand dollar limit, but some of these prelims are mostly five hundred dollar limits. Now you can bet it. You can bet five hundred dollars at. Ten different las vegas sports books or 10 different offshore accounts um but the line is going to move and it doesn't take a whole lot of money to kind of move this market um so kalikas left obviously left five times there's a new odds maker up um he's been putting up things very late there's still not round props up uh for the prelims that have been the lines of the fights have been up for what three weeks now um they were up during the last ufc event which is uh, in the middle of march so that's absolutely crazy to me but um let's just talk about the kind of the how you see or kind of how you view the ufc market in that you know it doesn't there's very low limits it doesn't take a lot to kind of blow up a line it is very common for something to go from you know minus 180 to minus 400 uh from time to time so uh what are kind of your views on kind of where the ufc market is and kind of how how fluid it is and stuff like that
1: it's kind of annoying my man because <laughs> it sure, it is, <laughs> because it it starts off With the lower limit, so, you know, all the $20 bettors will steam a line real quick. And then when, you know, the $1,000 bettors want to come in, a line might already be too fucked up to bet. You know, for example, Inc. I know he ended up losing, but he opened about minus 187 in Europe. And, and, you know, shout out to everyone in Europe and Australia because they don't have limits over there, man. They can put down 10K on a bet if they want to. So the line blows up. And, uh, you know, over let's say it opens here in the U.S., right? Something opens a minus 120 and then they blow it up to a minus 300 and then the limit lifts and then you can get down the real money on it. So it can be frustrating at times. But the good news is a lot of these mismatches that we were talking about earlier, the public doesn't have their eye on them. And people often overlook a lot of these fights because you know maybe the big name is the favorite and people are sleeping on the underdog they, they've never heard of the guy it might be a new guy it might be someone who's coming off a loss or two but as you know man when someone's got their back up against the wall you know they're a very dangerous person to bet against and that's why you know there still are opportunities to take advantage of these spots that people are overlooking even the odds makers are overlooking but Yes, it can be frustrating at times when, uh, you know, the limits are set low for the openers and, uh, you know, the the smaller betters go out there and steam those lines. But, you know, you still have to be able to work around it. And uh, that's what that's what we've been doing, man. Yeah, bro. And
0: again, not to kind of harp on the same fights, but they're good examples. I mean. When Alex Hernandez knocked out De- Benny Darius, I mean, the public was all... I mean, Benny Dariush closed, I think, minus, north of minus minus four or 500, whatever it was. Um, Alexander closed... Uh, uh, or Hernandez closed, like, plus 400, I want to say. Um, and so that that goes back to the regional footage. And that goes back to knowing that this kid was was nice. This kid was a killer coming in. Um, and that's kind of how you can exploit those and kind of... You know, this is our version of fading the public, you know, to, to kind of bring it back around to all sports. Um, that's that's kind of the the other version of it and the good thing about it is you're not paying you know minus 110 on a point spread to fade the public you're getting 4-1 to one on your bet um, but with that um, again to speak on this limits I mean limits at a Las Vegas sports book on, on a college football or an NFL card are probably about a thousand dollars is every kind of every limit that i've seen and to put that into perspective five dimes limits are at open are probably a one hundred dollars so it's literally a tenth of of what it is and so it's so crazy to me i mean you're talking basically 10 100 bets is going to move that market you know, move that line on a fighter significantly um it really is
1: um but that's just for the but, opener because uh I we've been saying, you know, that's That's
2: that's down before bet. it gets steamed <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why you got to have a good eye. That's why you got to put in the work and find these fights that no one's talking about or hope that the public steams the wrong side, kind of like they did with uh, Mickey Gall and Randy Brown.
0: Do you find more, I mean, I know you're, you're kind of a straight fighter position at this point of slight under, or underdogs and slight favorites, but do you um, did you get away from or were you ever a totals better? I find myself bending a lot, a lot of prelim totals um, because there's a ton of value there and I kind of try to fade the noise of, of the big money fights and find those values elsewhere. But have you ever gotten into, I know obviously we talked about kind of the stumbling blocks of, of parlays and, and big favorites, but have you ever gotten into the totals?
2: Because I think that's a market that's really underutilized.
1: Oh, 100%. Not every card, but there's always a time and place for a total man. And a, a good example, a good recent one that comes to mind is when Alan Juban fought Ben Saunders. It was set at under minus two and a half, and it cashed in under one and a half. And you know with those two, first of all, Ben Saunders has a knack for getting finished in the second round. And as you know, Alan Juban, he's a killer be kill kind of fighter. And a lot of people were hesitant to take the under because – oh, he went the distance with Bilal Muhammad and Mike Perry. And it's like, well, look, Bilal Muhammad and Mike Perry are young, hungry guys. Those same shots that Alan Juban landed on those guys is going to put away a guy like Ben Saunders. And another under that comes to mind, also with Alan Juban, when he fought this kid, Brendan O'Reilly, who, as you know, man, Brendan O'Reilly is what we like to refer to as a jobber, you know, has no business in the UFC. And it was set at under one and a half. Now, when you take an under one and a half, better be pretty fucking confident and – It was under 1.5 at plus 135, so I was like, oh, Juban only has to put this kid away in under 7.5 minutes, and he went out there and put him out in the first round. So there's definitely a time and place for the over-unders. Now, I know a lot of people like to bet the over in a women's fight every single time. Let's
2: kind of bring that up, bro, because we differentiate a little bit here, so I want to talk about it.
1: Well, well, here's the deal. Like I know the the saying goes, "Oh, it has a seventy percent hit rate." Yes, this is true, but the lines are also, you know, minus three hundred and minus minus three thirty. So you better be pretty fucking accurate if you're going to hit those every time.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's this is one of the reasons that I utilize a parlay. Um, just going
0: back, current twenty seven and four run uh, to women's over two and a half since UFC two seventeen on November fourth. Um, and so, I mean, the thought process is is that women are how do I say this delicately? There's not a lot of knockout power uh, within women outside of Chris Cyborg. Um, Obviously, there was two that cashed in one night with the Shevchenko, um, the other murder, I forget which one that was, Um, but...
1: Paul yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, I mean... Do you ever look at trends? Another one, two uh, underdog champions are uh, eight and two, the last 10. Um, So to me, I've talked about this with other sports. I'm a big macro betting person. And what that means is I exploit something over and over and over. I will always fade the Cleveland Browns. I will always fade Matthew Stafford when he plays a team that's over 500. And so I'm a huge trend guy when it comes to UFC. And I know that styles make fights. And I know that every fight is different. Um, and again, you talked about the lines and, and that's one place that I think a parlay kind of makes sense with with women's overs or, or kind of it's something that I, I, you know, that's kind of my big blind one that I'll, I will play every single time. But I mean, the underdog champion at eight and two is I mean, that says something. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. The also the last uh, 11 people to miss weight are 11 and oh. So what do you kind of see? with the, is there anything there in those trends? Do you think it's coincidence? Do you think it's flukes or kind of how do you do you take it trends into account when you're handicapping at all?
1: Well, look, man, I think if it works for you, you should keep doing it. And I don't know if what I'm about to say is considered a trend, but like something I mentioned earlier, man, what I've noticed is, uh, you know, these – these letdown spots with uh, the short notice villains there's been a trend with all those kids coming in and winning their fights man so if that's considered a trend I'd go ahead and start betting on you know all these underdog spots that come in on short notice in a letdown spot you know for where the where the favorite has absolutely nothing to gain and everything to lose And another one, I'm not sure if this is considered a trend either, but you got to exploit the mismatch because there's always that one mismatch on every card that's lined closely. And if you can find it, go ahead and hammer
0: that. Right. And that's been where you've taken the, the, you know, you talk about the next logical progression. You're kind of, you know, what you do in the, in the UFC market is, is awesome. And it's, you know, um, the name of your, of your business website and Twitter is Best Fight Picks. And, you know, you have this hashtag MaxBetSeason that I absolutely love because what you do in kind of your business model is taking advantage and absolutely hammering the one mismatch. You know, it, obviously it's, just, it's not limited to one, uh, but you exploit those mismatches and that's kind of what you've built your business around of. And it's I always say there's two things that separate a professional from a recreational better. One is selectivity, and the other is unit size. And you basically put those together in the best possible way, man. So, um, again, I wish you nothing but continued success in, in, in the UFC space. And, and kind of, again, I, I firmly believe you're doing everything the right way, bro, in a space that can be kind of snaky and kind of touty. So props to you on kind of coming up and, and exploiting that business model with that, bro.
1: Thank you, my friend. And uh, props to you on being able to do multiple sports and be successful, man. It's hard enough for me to be good at one. You're over here killing it at multiple sports.
0: It's, 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 it's time consuming, bro. There's nothing, there's no way around it, man. It's, but again, UFC will always kind of be my baby in that because I believe that it's such a niche market. And why do you think that is that more people don't bet it if, you know, we're sitting here saying it can be so profitable as, you know, you, you've just shown with your three-year track record year after year after year. You're consistently cashing max bets, cashing bets, and making money at it. Why do you think it isn't kind of more popular amongst bettors? Is because the limits are low, even though those are kind of lifted later on? Or why isn't it, you know, quote-unquote, the, the most Why isn't it the, you know, the NFL of, of betting? Or why isn't it on those levels when you talk handle and stuff like that?
1: I mean, people just don't know about it, man. It's kind of a taboo thing. You know, you don't see about uh, MMA fights on the front page of the sports section. You know what I'm saying? You only hear about football, baseball, basketball, NASCAR. You know, you never hear about fights unless it's a, a Conor McGregor fight. So, I mean, I just feel like not enough people know how you know? I don't want to call anything easy money because there's no such thing and a lot of work goes into it. But not enough people know about the opportunities that are available in uh, betting on MMA, UFC specifically, man.
2: Yeah, bro. So all right, one more thing before we get into the UFC 223 pay-per-view
0: upcoming. Legalization. I've kind of been asking everyone that comes on the show about that and kind of how it will affect kind of what they do or their market. Um, with the – I would say it's inevitable at this point of sports gambling being legal in the United States – what do you see that kind of doing to the ufc market do you see it i've always you know the one thing i've said is that i don't think people are taking into account kind of how this will flip on its head and where now you know there's a hundred dollar limit and they're all it's only available at say 10 offshores and las vegas in the u.s how is that going to affect the ufc market where limits are so low and it does not take a lot of money
2: to kind of move the market at
0: all Oh my god, it's going to
1: be absolutely amazing and I mean just on a personal level just to be able to go downtown to a casino, you know, watch watch the fights in a sports book, get my action down there, you know, you don't have to you don't have to, have to do anything sketchy. You know what I mean? It, and the whole I feel like the stigma will kind of, you know, there, there will always be a stigma about gambling because, you know, people, some people do have gambling problems. But I feel like the stigma will kind of go away a little bit, kind of like when uh, marijuana got decriminalized and legalized. You know, it's kind of like the same thing. You know, just don't uh, don't smoke pot from 8 a.m. till, you know, fuck 4, 4 a.m. You know what I'm saying, man? Don't, you know, but if you smoke weed once in a while, what's the big deal? Kind of like, you know, I have a lot of discipline when I bet, you know, there was a two week break between the last UFC card and this one coming up. And it's not like I was over here, you know, throwing my money away on other sports that I know nothing about. And, you know, for guys like you who you know exactly what the fuck you're doing, hey, that's badass. You were able to keep killing it the last two weeks. But for me, if I would have went out there and tried to bet on, you know, some other sport, I would have fucking lost. So I feel like the discipline is a huge thing. And I I know I'm getting off track here. That's not what you asked me about (laughs) at all. It's fine, bro. Go off on tangents. I love it. It's the whole point of it. But, you know, the discipline, the money management has to be on point. But as far as the legalization, man, it'll it'll just make everything smoother. It'll kind of lift the stigma to an extent because there's always going to be degenerates with gambling problems. Even, you know, I don't want to out any of my clients or anything like that. <laughs> you you tell them, OK, we're only betting on two fights this card. And then they're going to be like, OK, what's your opinion if I parlay this gun, with gun that? Ahead.
2: What do you think? Gun to head. I want some action on the main event. Yeah, it happens.
1: And it's like gun to head. Just sit back and enjoy the fight. You know what I mean? Right. And so, yeah. So I, I think it's going to be a really good thing, and I hope it happens sooner than later. Do you think it'll affect
0: the market in that we can kind of take advantage of inflated lines, especially with the big names? Now that you know uh, every thirty-year-old male can go put a twenty-dollar bet on, you know, say a Conor McGregor or a Nate Diaz or some of these you know huge, huge uh, names within the UFC market.
1: A hundred percent. And you know, you get these big favorites that already get steamed. Now they're just going to get steamed even more. And you take advantage of uh fading the public, like you mentioned, take that opposite side, you'll get an even better line on the underdog. So I a hundred percent agree with what you're saying. It's just going to suck when they get it right. You know?
2: <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's kind of what I've always said is the market's
0: going to be a little bit weird. You know, you're going to pay a premium for these publicly backed big favorites, you know, a team like. New England Patriots or Dallas Cowboys or Michigan or Ohio State, these colleges, you know, when they were, you know, minus six, minus seven, you're probably gonna have to you may have to lay, you know, minus eight, minus nine now. So the same thing could hold true for UFC where you know, uh, you know, uh, Conor McGregor maybe minus two hundred, but now he's minus four hundred. You know, so things could get a little bit, a little bit dicey there. But I, th- I agree. I, I'm happy for everyone that that doesn't isn't fortunate enough to do
2: this full time and live in Las Vegas. Just from
0: you
1: know from- what, man. What? For example, uh, you know, the other weekend when we're Doom fought Volkov. So, interestingly enough, I, I was expecting that we're Doom line to to go off the deep end, you know, hit that minus 300, hit that minus 400. But a lot of action did come in on Volkov. And I felt like that was kind of, you know, in the niche community, you know, people kind of knew that, you know, Volkov is a serious threat, but I feel like if MMA betting was, you know, the the worldwide legalization of sports betting, I felt like we're Doom would have been minus 500, then you go in there and get an incredible line on a guy like Volkov that everyone was counting out.
2: Exactly, bro. And again, you talk about the niche community and, gambling
0: you know if you think gambling twitter is has its quirks, man you haven't seen nothing until you break into mma twitter so (laughs) some of the most crazy fucking personalities and crazy people in the world but anything else you want to touch on within kind of philosophy ufc handicapping in general before we kind of shift gears and break down this ufc event
1: Man, I mean, there's so much to talk about. I don't know where to start, but, I mean, we pretty much hit on everything that needs to be said. You know, you have to take advantage of these oversights. And, you know, it's easy to say fade the public, but you should only fade the public when, you know, you really feel like someone's being overlooked, like the line is very incorrect, like there's a lot of value there. And you go ahead and, and you take advantage of that mismatch. And, yeah, that, that's uh, definitely something I like to do. You
0: talked about it, man. Like, I hate— yeah I, I love UFC I love it today it 's my absolute favorite sport in the world so one of the the main reasons I got into UFC handicapping is because it 's so quickly I mean fifteen to twenty five minutes and your bet is it 's over and you 've either won or you 've lost and you don 't have to sit and watch you know, a three four hour uh, event to kind of get your money and stuff like that and i i hate betting on ufc because it's kind of ruined it for me in that you know i'm on pins and needles because i do play a little bit more volume than you do you get you know you're a little bit more fortunate in that you get to kind of sit back and just kind of wait for your spot count your money and take yep.
2: advantage of it so
1: you know what though but, sorry to cut you off but one thing we should talk about is fading hype because there's so many hype trends that are absolutely ridiculous you look at a guy like will brooks and yeah, how Pedro hand too. And, that, and thank you, Jessica Rose Clark, for that easy money. But look, you know, there's this kid, Will Brooks, and you know he went like one and three or one and four in the UFC, and he was like a minus five hundred favorite every single time he fought. He could barely beat Ross Pearson. You got to take advantage of those spots. This kid Sage Northcutt, he absolutely sucks, and but they've been feeding him total tomato cans. And you know, the one time they gave him someone good, uh, Brian Barberena, Brian was like plus two twenty, plus two fifty, yeah. and he went out there and choked him out with something that doesn't even exist. So you know, you have to be wary of these hype trains and look into it. You know, is this guy really the real deal? David like I every comes to mind. well, that's going to be interesting, man. That's yeah, going to. know be- we differ a little bit. Well, no, I mean, I'm not sit- sitting here saying I-, I have a certain side, but I, I think that. uh. I think that's a very, very intriguing fight, my man. You know what I'm saying?
2: One way or another, it's going to be polarizing. Um, that's for sure. It's
1: because the reason that I'm not, you know, quick to say, oh, Wonderboy or or Till, is because both guys are long-term winners. So that that's why I'm kind of hesitant to pick a side right now. And also, you know, it's, it's a it's a bit away. I got to put the work in before I talk about it. But back to Will Brooks. He's a long-term loser in the UFC. Kylan Curran, she's a long-term loser in the UFC, but all her fights are lined closely. It's kind of interesting. And then, for example, I'll give you a better—I'll give you a better example. Holly Holm, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, she's—you know— isn't she like one in three in her last four fights? Yet she's a big favorite in a lot of these fights. So you have to take advantage of these opportunities. Yeah, it's because she
0: knocked out Ronda Rousey, and everyone remembers it. Name value is everything in the UFC, and. When we talk about this, this is the other thing I want to bring up: is the concept of showcase fights. Because this is this is kind of the value thing, right? A showcase fight is, for anyone that doesn't know, is somebody. It's a fight that's that's made essentially feeding someone that's very bad to somebody that is an up and coming prospect. And so, to kind of make this parallel, think of you know, think of the WWE, right? When they have these new kind of people that they want to build up and they want to make the you know kind of the face of the company or, or give these you know kind of build their their company around. UFC has lost a lot of star power lately with Rousey and Conor McGregor, not fighting for so long. John Jones going out, Brock Lesnar, these huge names that, you know, they're always on the hunt for kind of the new star. And the way that they do that is they kind of feed these prospects, uh, these up and coming kids, you know, these, these veterans for, you know, name value, Eric Anders and Leo Machida. Obviously that didn't work out in, in kind of my favorite and stuff like that. But (laughs) that was, that was the concept of getting, you got robbed. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh I, Uh, That was the concept of having, you know, a showcase fight so that Eric Anders could be able to put Lyoto Machida on his resume. So how do you kind of view those showcase fights of of kind of, um, you know, the concept in general or betting on, you know, those are the situations that there's big favorites?
1: Yeah, 100 percent. There's a good showcase fight coming up in Bellator between this kid uh, who we're sponsoring, Emmanuel Sanchez. He's fighting a UFC vet named Sam Cecilia. And it would be a massive upset if Sam Cecilia went out there and beat him. I think, Manny's going to go out there and style on him. And one thing I wanted to talk about, man, and I talk about this on my show Half the Battle all the time, because people like to fall in love with undefeated fighters. You know, you look at a kid like Justin Gaethje, and yeah, he's super exciting. And, you know, people forget that uh, he's so damn hittable. He's a walking punching bag, but – He jumps off the cage and does a big flip and all his fights are fight of the night. So therefore people in love, they let their, their fandom, you know, get into their wallets and you can't do that. Justin Gaethje is a guy you either bet against him in the USC or you sit back and watch and enjoy because he's going to put on a show. So what I like to say is no one is exempt from that first loss. A lot of people love to bet on these undefeated fighters. And this might contradict what I was saying about Darren Till and Steven Thompson, because I said, both guys are long-term winners, but another thing I'm going to say is no one is exempt from that first loss. It does not matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're Ronda Rousey. You know the only people that have seemed to be exempt so far are John Jones and uh, and Khabib. But mark my words, if they fight long enough, they will take their first L too. And you know everyone at first loss it doesn't matter if it's Anderson Silva, George St. Pierre, BJ Penn, Frankie Edgar, James Vick, who's a total winner who has an over ninety percent win rate. You have to bet on James Vick every single fight because you will profit long-term, but everyone has to take that first L. No one is exempt. And uh, I feel like people fall in love with undefeated fighters too much because they seem invincible. And that's a big mistake people make.
2: Thousand percent, bro. Couldn't agree with
0: you more. All right. So we're going uh, to take a quick break, break into uh, what the UFC has coming up next, which is April 7th, UFC 223 from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. Inside Vegas is presented by MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the official online sportsbook of the Inside Vegas podcast, as well as the Sports Gaming Podcast Network. Use promo code SGP50 to receive a 50% deposit bonus today. Inside Vegas is also brought to you by Odd Shark. Odd Shark has the latest betting trends available, as well as betting picks from their supercomputer. Check out all of their quality content and betting trends at oddshark.com. So after the, the break that was... That was March, only one event much, March, which was absolutely brutal for UFC. Mm-hmm. UFC's back, UFC 223, April 7th. Holloway versus what used to be Ferguson is now Khabib Nurmagomedov, And this one is short notice, like we talked about, but there's a couple good examples of everything that we kind of talked about in the beginning of this podcast, and I want to kind of bring it all full circle. So we'll start with the prelims, uh, and we'll just kind of work our way up, uh, kind of rapid fire, and we're not going to go into detail on every single fight. Um, that's because, again, Din uh, does this in detail on every single fight more information than you could ever handle on his podcast uh which is called half the battle um again at best fight picks on twitter uh and uh bestfightpicks.com you can get all that content and on itunes as well so let's break this down uh let's start with this one because it it kind of illustrates a couple points that we talked about my man my fellow man from gloucester massachusetts kyle Bokniak, 600 Zabi. Magomed Sharapov, minus 900. And this is, to me, this is kind of a little bit, I don't want to say showcase fight, and I'm not exactly sure why Kyle took this fight. Um, Again, obviously, he has the world to gain by knocking off beat, but, I mean, coming off a couple wins, I guess he has one to give back. Uh, But... This is, I think that this is Zabi, and I don't think it's close, but your boy, my boy, Kyle has a knack for weaseling out these decisions that uh, he maybe should not have. I know he's cost a lot of people, a lot of very sharp people money in the past because they try to fade him time and time again. And he keeps winning these split decisions.
2: So what are you, what are your kind of thoughts on this one?
1: Well, you said a very important word and something that we kind of forgot to touch on earlier when we were talking about, you know, what kind of fighters do we like to bet on? And that's uh, people that are able to weasel decisions. You know, you always have to have a solid stable of weasels in your lineup. And a perfect example of that is Alejandro Perez. Uh, You know, this kid is about five and one or six and one in the UFC, always winning these close split decisions. But he's able to do enough on the judge's eyes to get it done. Another good example is this kid, uh, K. Johnson. I was say, and. I mean, look, look, people think that, uh, you know, he's a joke and he's in that. Well, guess what? He's 4-1 and one in the UFC. You know what I'm saying? And he's able to win that split decision. Now, he's not the best example because I truly believe that, you know, they give him the right matchup and uh, he will be fated very soon. But a guy like James Vick who knows how to win that decision, you need these guys on your lineup. And with Kyle Bakniak, fight goes to decision with him. There's no guarantees that uh, – you know, that the guy you bet on is going to win. Because I remember uh, Enrique Barzola clearly won the fight and they gave it to Bocniak. So I never I, I I
0: lost a bet so quick in my <laughs> life. I bet on him again because we went to the same high school. We kind of grew up together. Um, and I, <laughs> I feel for you. Like you said, I got robbed on Anders, man. You, you got robbed on that one. I full heartedly admit that one.
1: Oh, yeah. But, you know, it kind of makes me. Uh, have a lot more respect for Bakniak because he's able to weasel these decisions. That's a quality you want when you're betting on someone. And obviously, you're not going to take a minus 900 Zabit Magomed Sharipov. Look, I think he's going to win. He's a minus 900 for a reason. He's a six foot one featherweight. He's Russian. Russians win a lot of damn fights. And the kid's super dynamic. He's probably going to come out here and style on Bakniak. But make no mistake about it, man. It's dogger pass. I mean, it's fucking plus 600. I mean, I would recommend passing. I don't think is going to pull it off, but. Bro, at plus 600, you know it's dog or pass,
2: right? <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying, man. The,
0: the thing that you'll hear is styles make fights and dog or pass. And I brought up this fight specifically because this is the epitome of value. For a fight that's most likely going to go to decision um, and a guy that snakes out split decisions when he probably shouldn't or, you know, it looks like he shouldn't, obviously he's doing something right. So this is, it's one of those things where you say, you know, I think Zavid's going to win. I agree with you, but this is the epitome of value. And... <laughs> I would be very careful with it um, again obviously the line is out of range and a minus 900 is worth about 20 cents a juice in a, in a two person parlay so that's this. It's, it you said it I'm that's why I wanted to bring this fight up it, it's dog or pass but it's probably closer on the, the pass spectrum um, the round props aren't up for these as well but a fight that's likely to go to decision to kind of see where that over is uh, as well but you make a lot of good points there alright so breaking up or moving on up Chris Grutzmacher and Joe Lozon take it away my man Oh, Man, this odd, one... Sorry. Joe Lozon, minus 170. Chris Grudzmacher, plus
1: 140. It's an interesting fight as well because, look, obviously, Joe Lozon, he's got the name. He's been in the UFC, what, 10 years or something like that. Uh, the guy has given a lot of blood and guts inside that octagon. And, you know, I actually went back and I calculated the amount of headshots he's eaten. And uh, according to fight,
2: single fight? You watched every single headshot?
1: Yeah, exactly. No, but according... <laughs> <laughs> according to fight metric uh the ki- and by the way you know shout out to fight metric but a lot of their numbers are way off you know you look at a fight like Elias uh, Theodoro versus Brad Tavares and they're trying to act like Theodoro outstruck him which is complete bullshit so you know a lot of their numbers are way off so when you know there was a fight recently and I can't remember what it was oh yeah between um between Frankie Signs and Mirab. De and, and they gave the split decision To to, to Frankie Signs, And they try to act like he outstruck him by this big number And it was complete bullshit you, you can't listen to those numbers Because what I saw was a guy Take someone down 11 times And beat him in every area of the game And then he got robbed But back to this fight my man Look Joe Lozon he's eaten over a thousand head strikes Throughout his UFC career And at some point that's got to add up I understand he's the big name in this spot But look what's been Joe Lozon's biggest issue throughout his ufc career it's been his cardio it's been the fact that he comes out super hard in that first round and if he can't put you away you know nine times out of ten he's gonna lose the fight man i mean the only time i remember him you know really winning fights that go past the first round you know the jamie varner fight in 2012 and you know the mac danzig fight which are which is around the same time so you know if a fight goes uh, it, it, and Marcine held sorry yeah Yeah, and we all know he didn't really win that Marcin Held fight. We all know he lost every single round of that fight, and look, robberies will happen from time to time, you know, and in this game, you take a W by any means necessary. It doesn't matter if it's a fluke like Paul Craig versus Ann or if it's a complete bullshit robbery like Botchniak versus Barzola or another one like uh, Lozon versus Held. So, you know, he got lucky in that spot, but it, it's not going to happen too many more times where he wins robberies like that. And I think in this spot, man, if he can't get Chris Gritzmacher out of there in the first round and a half, I think Gritzmacher has got that workman style where – You know, those guys from the MMA lab, they have cardio for days. You know, these guys that they kind of they got the dad bods, you know, Brian Barberena, all those guys, Darren Elkins. He's not from the lab, but he's what I'm talking about. You start, you know, you you pick those guys apart for about a couple minutes, and then you start to slow down. You wonder why they're still in there with you. Then they start to tee off on you. Then they take everything away from you. And with a guy like Lozon, who historically has a terrible gas tank and he's known for shelling up, he's eaten over a thousand head strikes throughout his career, this might actually be a good spot. To take uh, Gritzmacher for the upset. So I 100% think this is a dogger pass situation again, my man.
2: Yeah, bro. It speaks to the line. This is what we're talking about when he kind of looks
0: second level. I mean, the over 1.5 at minus 175, under one 1.5 at plus 145. Um if you want to take Lozon, I think that if you want to do it at plus money, I think you can take that under one and a half because this is what, it all comes down to: paths to victory. How is each fighter going to win? How you know what is the most likely? You know, it's not just the who; it's the why. Um, so, if you want to turn Lozon into minus one seventy, um, I think about, about the way to do that is to take the under one and a half at plus one forty five. Uh, but I want to touch on something that I, I can't believe that we didn't bring up earlier. And that's judging because the casual MMA fan, I think this is one thing that turns them off big time is the robberies is, you know, a casual MMA fan that has maybe a $50 bet on somebody, you know, they, they watch the fight. They, you know, the naked eye looks like he dominated start to finish. And then he loses a, a decision like, um, like a Kyle Bokniak. Um, you know, Lozon was a pretty public play in that, you know, and I think that that kind of takes some fans and some betters away from the sport. Um, I mean, I know this is a whole nother podcast, a whole another topic of conversation. Uh, but what you know, what do you attribute that to, or kind of you know, how can they fix things like that, or you know, what is the judges seeing that the casual fan isn't, in your opinion?
1: Well, the way to fix it is, you know, we need a whole new set of judges because the people judging these fights are a bunch of old timers that box uh, that judge boxing fights. So it's like a completely different sport; they don't know what they're looking at. But instead of talking about you know, how can we fix this? How about we talk about how to take advantage of it? And the way to do that is you bet on these guys who historically are able to win that close decision. These guys like James Vick, a guy you know, in James Vick, he fought Nick Hahn. He got dropped twice in the first round. He still got 130-27 on the judges' scorecards, which means that one judge scored every single round for him. You need these guys on your roster, Alejandro Perez. So, you know, we, we can't sit here and change the judges. You know, the, the athletic commissions, it is what it is. But what we can do is we can take advantage of the people who are able to win those close decisions, and that's what we got to do.
0: Adapt and overcome, bro. I couldn't say it better myself. I absolutely love what you just said there. All right, so moving on up, Ray Borg and Brandon Moreno. Ray Borg, minus 275, come back on Moreno, plus 225. Over, under 2.5, minus 260, under 2.5, plus 210. Um, it's Ray Borg here. These, these outside of Demetrius Johnson, he's kind of a decision machine. Um, Kind of a long play of mine has been Ray Borg's overs, Um, but I think he's in a good spot here, but Moreno is absolutely dangerous. Uh, What's your kind of take on it?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, Ray Borg, he's, The kid's really good, and he's just a kid. I believe he's under twenty-five years old. And a thing that I like about him is that, man, he's been in the UFC since he was nineteen. He made his UFC debut against Dustin Ortiz. He took him to a split decision. And I feel like now we're seeing the best Ray Borg we've ever seen. I know, you know, he was on the wrong end of one of you know the best highlights in the history of the sport that that suplex to the armbar. But look, if you fight you fight Demetrius Johnson and shit like that's going to happen. But one thing I got to say, look at his fight prior to that. One doesn't simply go to Brazil and not only beat Formiga, but beat Formiga on the judges' scorecards, and you know take the back of a like exactly, and take the back of a guy like Juicy Formiga. And in addition to that, because we always have known that Ray Borg's grappling chops have been on point. How about his striking, man? His striking looks the best it's ever looked. I think that ever since. He switched to Greg Jackson because, you know, he used to be at the rival gym in Albuquerque, New Mexico. You know, the gym that Tim Means trains at under Tom Vaughn. Ever since he switched to Greg Jackson's, I mean, the kids really, he was going to be good no matter what. But now I feel like he's really starting to find his potential. You know, he's striking under Brandon Gibson. Like I said, in that Formiga fight, that was the best Ray Borg I've ever seen. So in this spot with Moreno, Moreno is also a young kid that's come a long way. Now, I'm still trying to figure out. If Moreno was, you know, kind of a victim of circumstance because, you know, he did go in there and beat a guy in Luis Smolka who was on a ridiculous skid. And, you know, we saw Moreno get choked out on that season of the ultimate fighter. And also in Moreno's last fight, I had a, a decent sized wager on Sergio Pettis at dog money. And he went out there and kind of he showed the holes in Moreno's game so this might be too much too soon for a guy like brandon moreno at the same time he's one of these guys where you know he can finish a fight with an explosive move you know he can go out there and finish with a flying knee with a head kick with a guillotine choke so i feel like he has to catch ray borg to win this fight but if it goes the distance i think that ray borg is going to run away with it. And don't be surprised if Ray Borg finishes him either. I just think Ray Borg's on a different level than him. But once again, you're looking at a minus 275. Remember I told you about my minus 250 rule earlier in the show? So, yeah, this is past my range, man. So, yeah, I got Ray Borg, but obviously you got to pass. I completely agree.
0: And Moreno, I mean, 3-1, and one, yeah. He, he, the only person that he, I would argue, that he's fought of note is, is Pettis. And he lost that decision. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he did take Pettis to a decision. Well, who, he beat Dustin Ortiz. What's that?
1: He did beat Dustin Ortiz.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, the first two, I mean, so a fight's of no, and I hate to say fight's of no, because of course we have the utmost respect for anyone who steps in that octagon. Um, But, you know, you talk about too much too soon, and Ray Borg got too much too soon because of how weak the division is in fighting Demetrius Johnson. There's no, I mean, Demetrius Johnson was minus... thousand against ray borg to put this in perspective um borg simply wasn't ready and again he's only 24 years old he's only going to get better um and moreno i i do like it i just think that again this is his version of what borg just went up against this is too much too soon for moreno the same way that dj was too much too soon for ray borg um so i'm with you 100 percent on borg felice herring Carolina Kowalowitz uh herring plus 155 opened about plus 170 so a little money coming in on herring um carolina minus 185 over two and a half this is what you talked about minus 365 under two and a half plus 300
1: Yeah, man, I think there's a dogger pass situation as well. I know that they're both about the same age, but it looks like the trajectory for Felice Herrig is a lot higher than for Carolina. I feel like Carolina kind of hit her peak already. You know, she made it to the title fight. She dropped Joanna in that fourth round, but she lost the decision. Then her next fight with Claudia. Look, it's one thing to lose to Claudia, who, you know, is a top five competitor in that that weight class. It's another thing to get finished in that first round. And, And that was, you know... Against someone in Clodget who doesn't finish anyone. You know what I'm saying? And then the next fight, she takes on, you know, the jobber of jobbers in in Jody Espel and Matt. She was getting tagged hard with some big right hands. So I kind of feel like there might be a decline for Carolina now. But at the same time with Felice, even though she has been looking the best she's ever looked, When she has uh, faced adversity in the past, she hasn't been able to overcome it. So to me, it's an interesting spot. Is this simply that Felice, uh, you know, she had to take her lumps and now she's really finding herself? Or is it that she's been able to front run her last couple fights? It's been kind of interesting and and it's kind of difficult for me to decide. I think it's a dog or pass situation as well because Felice, obviously she's in the best form of her career and Carolina might be in a decline spot, but you know, I'd recommend uh, sit back and enjoy this one, or take the, or take the underdog.
2: Completely agree with you. This fight is very, very likely to
0: go to decision. The line says that at minus three sixty five, and for that alone, it, that would lend itself to a play towards the underdog at plus one fifty five. I like Herring a lot in this spot. I really do. I mean, her wins over, you know, you touch on the fact that she front runs, but I mean, Courtney Casey, Kish, Grasso, Kaylin um, Curran. Uh, to me, I mean, being four and zero in her last fights, five and one in the UFC. She's going up and I know that carolina has been there done that before but to me this is I feel like this is this is it for herring this is not I don't want to say this is it because I think she's still very young but if she can this is her next step let's put it that way um, she can take a, a a big next step in in her career and her progression as a fighter if she can get this win over the number four uh, fighter in this division so I think that this has put up or shut up time for for I mean Sharp guys have always kind of had a liking to herring because of her style um they've been on the, been on her a lot um myself included I just this fight again it's very likely to go decision, so for that alone, I think that this is it's a very good spot for herring at plus one money at plus one fifty five so pick em fight Paul Felder aya quinta over two and a half minus one twenty five under two and a half at minus one oh five where are you going here
1: man it's another it's another tough one to call, and you know I feel like you know when we were talking earlier about things that you know up and coming better should do or even guys that have been in the game a long time, they need to be reminded that it's okay to pass on a fight. It's okay to say that you don't know. It's okay to sit back and just enjoy two competitors going out there and throwing down. And you know, we talked about how sometimes there's a pick'em, but it's actually a mismatch. Well, in this fight specifically, at least on paper, man, because you know, watch someone win by first round knockout and it looked like a mitchma- like a mismatch. But right now before the fight happens on paper, I truly believe this is a pick'em man, and it is for a reason. And look, Paul Felder—he's in the best form of his career, but at the same time, you know—it's he hasn't been beating anyone impressively. Oh, he knocked out Alessandra Ricci and Stevie Ray, and who the fuck are those guys, right? And then without. Exactly, 500 fighters. And then with Ally Akinta, he beat Joe Lozon, Diego Sanchez, and Ross Pearson. I mean, c- c- come on, man. Like, if you c- If you haven't figured out how to beat those guys yet, you shouldn't be in the UFC. But as far as the styles are concerned, you know, Paul Felder, he does have that Muay Thai style, very heavy leg kicks, spin attacks as well. And with Al Iaquinta, he's got more of a volume boxing style. And there's one issue we've seen in Felder's game is that, you know, you take this guy at the distance and there's no guarantee that he's going to win the decision. And I love betting on fighters that are able to win that decision because you cannot rely on someone to get a knockout. You need to know firsthand that if this fight's hitting the scorecards, we're going to win the fight. That's why, among many other reasons, that I love betting on James Vick because I know this fight hits the scorecards We're going to win that fucking fight, man. You know what I'm saying? That's why you always bet on James Vick, no matter who he's fighting, because long term you will win. Now, as far as this one's concerned, I think if it hits the scorecards, I think Ayakinta has the better chance of winning because he can out-volume a guy like Paul Felder. I mean, Paul Felder, how let down were you when he lost to Ross
0: Pearson, man? (laughs) It was bad, man. (laughs) It's... Felder, to me, I don't know where... I know you said you think he's in the best shape of his career. He's looking the best that he's looked. Again, we talked about who he's beaten, and I don't know if this is a case of him looking this good or this is just the level of competition. I mean, when you look at who he's lost to, yeah, Trinaldo, um, Edson Barbosa, and Ross Pearson. And to me, that says a lot that he beats the guys that he's supposed to, but he can't take that next step. And I think that this may be... This is who paul felder is right and i don't think that he i don't know if he has it in him to kind of take that next step to be um you know within the upper echelon of the division i think that he's a fringe you know top 15 guy and that's just kind of all you know he's always in that 15 to 20 range and that's just kind of all he'll ever be um if he takes out a quinta i think that that would be him you know similar to herring even though herrings are obviously already ranked it's a little bit different because the divisions are you know very differently, the structure of him with how deep they are is completely different. I just think that Felder is who we know that he is, and he can't take that step up in competition. We, we've seen it time and time again. He will beat who he's supposed to, um, and he'll lose to kind of whenever he's in that you know the um, the underdog role. And I know this fight's a pickup. This is probably one of the best matchups for him stylistically because again, he I don't know if that he has to catch him. I think there's a version of Paul Felder. That can can win this decision, but again, Quintas thing is volume. That's why I kind of lean towards this over. I think that this fight will go to a decision, um, but to me, it's it's going to be a lot of dirty boxing, a lot up against the cage, those those leg kicks, distance, 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 and that would lend itself stylistically to a here.
1: Yeah, and another thing is, you know, people try to act like Paul Felder, some up and coming guy. He's thirty four years old, Christian, and with with Ally Ayakinta. Yeah, exactly. And with Al Ayakinta, you know, Felder's doing announcing. Ayakinta's selling real estate. We don't know if he even wants to be in there. And, you know, his only, exactly. And his only fight in the last two years, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I believe, his only fight in the last two years is against Diego Sanchez. And if you haven't figured out how to beat Diego Sanchez in 2017, 2018, then, you know, I don't know what to say. But yeah, since I got to pick someone, I'm going to go with Ayakinta. But again, this is that fight. Just sit back and Enjoy it, it's gonna be fun while it lasts.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna go with the over here. Yeah, Diego Sanchez 2017, fight before that, uh, Mass 2015, so a long layoff, uh, as well. All right, Kiesa and Pettis, Kiesa minus 140, Anthony Showtime Pettis plus 110, over two and a half, minus 130, under two and a half, even money.
1: Man, you know, I like Kiesa a lot in this spot, and it's interesting because you know, Kiesa has beaten more top 10 guys than Anthony Pettis. And, that, that, and that's just facts. I mean, look, Chiesa has wins. Exactly. Chiesa has wins o- over Trinaldo. Chiesa has wins over Benil Dariush. He beat James Vick on the ultimate fighter. And he also choked out Ally Quinta. So Chiesa's got more legit wins than Anthony Pettis. But, you know, who he's beating and this and that, that, that's not the point. I just wanted to bring that up because, you know, the name Showtime Pettis, I mean, you hear that name and it's like, oh, it's Anthony Pettis. He jumped off the cage. And kick Benson Henderson's head into the fifth row 10 years ago. Oh, my God. But you know Anthony Pettis is 2-5 and five in his last seven fights, right? You know that after he lost the title to RDA, he was never the same, right? Even in those wins against Charles Dubronx and Jim Miller, it's just not the same guy because I, I don't want to call him a frontrunner because he's not a frontrunner. He's a very tough guy. He takes his ass whooping like a man. But I feel like the ass whoopings he's taken in those losses have been so detrimental to the point where he really has declined. And people got to remember, he had a full career in the WEC before he even came to the UFC. And then, you know, he did his thing. He won the belt. He defended it. You know, after these champs lose their belts, you know, it's they don't just come back and go on another title. reign. that's just not how the sport works, unless it's like a one time thing where, like, remember when uh, when Kane fought J.D.S.? Got knocked out. That was his first title defense. Then he came back. He was able to, to win the belt again. But I don't, I don't see this being that spot at all, man. Yeah, and no, also, historically speaking – oh, go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say the division changed.
1: Historically the- speaking – exactly. Historically speaking – Pettis has trouble with people that can clinch him up against that fence and take him down, and that's exactly what Michael Chiesa wants to do. Michael Chiesa is a super durable guy, and he's also six foot one for lightweight. He's massive, and, you know, Pettis likes to do a lot of flashy stuff. He likes to go for cartwheel kicks, then he likes to end up on his back. You end up on your back against a guy like Michael Chiesa, and nine times out of ten, he's going to pound you out. He's going to take your back. He's going to choke you out. He's going to do some very bad things to you, so— Honestly, what I think Chiesa needs to look out for here is two things. Obviously, we know the kicks of showtime, even though they haven't been the same for many, many years. You know, the last time he stopped someone with a kick was, uh, was Donald Cerrone before the Reebok era, right? Before USADA, right? He hasn't, he hasn't done shit with his kicks in years. But, you know, it's still showtime. Let's show him some respect with his kicks. But I think the most important thing we got to look out for here is when Chiesa gets on top – Anthony Pettis has always had a very active guard, and he's always attacking for triangles. He's attacking for arm bars. So that, that's what Chiesa needs to look out for here. And I, I think Chiesa will be able to handle it just fine, pass his guard, and potentially go out there and finish a guy like Showtime. Because I remember you know, hearing an interview with Showtime a couple years back when he was on that three-fight skid to uh, RDA, Alvarez, and Barboza. And he was saying, look, I'm just losing to the top to the top guys, but I'm losing by decision. It's not like I'm out here getting finished. Okay, well, since that point, let's fast forward a little bit. Now he's getting melted in fights. You know, the Max Holloway fight. Now, I said earlier, I consider Max Holloway to be a top three pound for pound guy. There's no shame in losing that fight at all, but the way he lost, I mean, you know, people try to act like there were moments of that fight that were close. It wasn't close at all. It was kind of like a systematic dismantling of Anthony Showtime Pettis, and he took a seat in that third round, and then his fight with Dustin Poirier... He tapped out to a uh, to a body trial. That's not a submission, man. That's just a little bit of pressure, you know, on you. And Showtime would have never been tapping out to stuff like that a couple of years ago. It's just. You know, the guy's got so many things going on outside of the cage that he doesn't need this anymore. He owns his own barbershop. He owns his own gym. He owns his own sports bar. I mean, you already won a world title in the UFC. You won a world title in the WEC. W- what else is there left to do? I'll tell you what there's left to do, man. There's left to, l- let's get this 100K paycheck so I can pay for my wedding. You know, that that's what there's left to do. So I think is the hungry guy here. I think he wants it more. I think he's going to come out here. I think he's going to put it on Showtime Pettis And I, I got Michael Chiesa.
2: You touched on it, man. Pat is two and four since
0: losing the strap and this division changes, you know, not this division, but divisions within the UFC change so rapidly. And not to take this back to, to women's MMA, but you know, ronda rousey wasn't beating the type of fighters that are in the division now and i know you know you touched on pettis pettis is only is 31 kies is only 30 so the age difference there isn't huge but in fight years man pettis is he's he's north of 40 i mean he had a whole career before the ufc um, and that's what you were touching on and to me that that makes all the difference here this is two trajectories that are going completely different um, places. Showtime here. He all I mean, he has his brother that's that's kind of the up and coming one and his brother was always going to be, I think, you know, was touted as possibly being better than him. Um but to me and, and I think that he is, I really do. Uh Kies- again, I know Kies is coming off uh, that loss to Kevin Lee, but he's still three and one in his last uh four fights and he's five and two um his last or uh yeah one Check. two uh five and two is last seven uh so kiesa is trending up and pettis is trending down uh i think the line is it should be a little bit wider honestly i think that this uh this one is likely to go decision as well here but i think that kiesa can can kind of pick him apart i just to me this is one person that's kind of on the ascent of their career and one person that's on the descent so for all those reasons i'm with you 100 on make kiesa there Moving on, Renato Mocano and Calvin Qatar. Micano plus 105. Calvin Qatar plus or minus 135. Over two and a half, minus 230, under two and a half at uh, plus one ninety. And to me, this is Qatar is one of those guys that that I absolutely love. Um, his name was the Boston Strangler, uh, the Boston finisher, excuse me. Um, but he hasn't finished anybody in a very long time. Um, he was kind of touted as this this ultra you know, competitive uh, finisher, for lack of a better word, but it just it hasn't happened in the UFC. I um, mean, even towards the end of his, his regional career, um, I know he got a third-round uh, knockout of Borges, which was a uh, fight of the night. Um, it actually won fight of the night, but that was one of the best you know, fights back-and-forth trading that I've seen in a very long time. Uh, this line, this is the epitome of a past situation. It's not even dog money on Moicano at plus 105. Uh, Qatar, to me, again... This is two guys that are both on the upward swing. That's why this one is so hard for me to call. Um, Stand back or sit back, enjoy this fight as a fan because it's going to be an absolute banger. Do you have anything kind of one way or another on this? I think this fight is very, very hard to call.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the best fight on the entire card. Both of these guys are incredible talents. And, you know, people like to use the fact that Calvin Cater's name is the Boston finisher against them. But like I told you earlier, I love these guys that are able to go out there and win. And they'll win the decision. You know, that's what you like to bet on. Winners. Calvin Cater and Hinato Moicano are the epitome of winners. You know, Calvin Cater, one doesn't simply make their UFC debut with a sixteen and two record. This guy is the real fucking deal. And he goes in there with Andre Feely as a you know plus three fifty underdog puts on an absolute clinic against a top 15 guy. Then he goes in there with Burgos, and he smoked Burgos. Calvin Cater, he came into the UFC at the right time. You know, a lot of these guys, they come into the UFC super hyped, and they're just not ready yet. But with him, he already had a 10-plus-year career. Now he's ready to make his run. And when I say make his run, I don't mean, you know, go in there with fringe top 15 guys. I'm saying Calvin Cater is a top three guy. In my opinion, and this might be controversial to a lot of people, and I, I honestly don't give a fuck, but this is my opinion. Calvin Cater would be Frankie Edgar. Calvin Cater would be Cub Swanson. Calvin Cater would be Ricardo Lamas. And I feel the exact same way about Henato Moicano because I think both of these guys are top five guys right now. It might not say that in the rankings, but as far as their abilities, you put them in there with top five guys, they're going to go out there and win. The only two guys that I'm not convinced they could beat are the champ Max Holloway and the number one contender, um, uh, Brian T. City Ortega. And as you saw, Ortega actually beat Moicano. It was an incredible fight. His so both lost. these guys are amazing. And has only lost ever. And look, he- here's the slight difference. And I might be wrong on this, you know, and it might go either way. But look, I think Hinato Moicano is a top five guy. But I think Calvin Cater is a top three guy. And I think it's a little it's a game of inches here. I, I think that's all it comes down to. I think the boxing technique is slightly crisper for Calvin Cater. But also we know Hanato is a serious black belt in Jiu Jitsu. And about 11 years ago, Calvin Cater got submitted. I mean, it, does, it doesn't even matter anymore. You know, who didn't get submitted 100 years ago, right? But it's just super tough to call. But I think both of these guys are going to challenge for a world title. I think one of these guys might even be a future world champion. Like I said, I'm not bullshitting you when I say that both of these guys could be Frankie Edgar today. I'm not bullshitting you when I say both. Bull- I'm not bullshitting you when I say both of these guys would absolutely smoke Cub Swanson, Ricardo Lamas, Josh Emmett, Jeremy Stevens. Oh, Hanato Moicano already beat Jeremy Stevens. That's how good I think Calvin Cater and Hanato Moicano are. I think they're the two best guys in the division right behind Max Holloway and Brian Ortega. So, you know, I was thinking about betting on Calvin Cater, but then you go and you watch Moicano and you're like, how the fuck can I bet against this guy? You know what I'm saying? It's just that – I've been calling a Cater a future world champion since uh you know since I saw him make that UFC debut and you know when I saw him on Axis TV prior to his UFC debut I was like oh my God this guy is the real real deal he's such a winner his hands are on point he knows how to get that takedown at the end of the round and secure rounds and boy, of, he's got a volume style too and he can choke dudes out it's just sit back and enjoy this one because you're looking at the two top talents at featherweight that named Max Holloway and Brian Ortega and I'm gonna say it for the 10th time both of these guys would whoop Frankie Edgar's ass <laughs> so sit back and enjoy it yeah you know that hurts me to hear
0: Frankie's been my guy since since his inception and seeing him kind of get beat in such a brutal way even though he is coming back to fight Cub right away um, I didn't know That's you the were that, yeah I didn't know that you were that high on on both these guys and and to me Again, I touched on the fact that this is a pick for a reason. Stay away from this fight from a betting perspective, but... The thing that's going to suck with these—not you know—with these guys, but for one, whoever loses this fight is going to take a bigger step back short term. Um, but their loss is going to look better over time, if that makes sense. And what I mean by that is, you know, if if the thirteen or the eleven loses, you know, to each other, either way, they may be out of the top fifteen just based on numbers. You know, maybe they get that fifteen spot. Um, but as time goes on, and whoever wins this fight, whether it's Moicano or Cater, they're going. The win is going. The loss is going to look better and better and better. And there will be a rematch um, down the line, you know, potentially for a title. Um, it's just this. It's unfortunate that they're fighting so early in their careers. It really is. Uh, but with that being said, again, I, one of these fighters is going to take a bigger step backwards short term than we realize here. Um, but again, over time, it's going to look like you know better and better and better as it goes. But yeah, this one has fighter of the night written all over it. But shifting gears, we have we have a little difference of opinion here. So I'm excited to talk about you or with you about this fight. Rose Namajunas minus 105 money had been coming in on Rose. Joanna Jcheck, minus 125 over three and a half, minus 130 under three and a half, even money. Now this fight, when it was originally lined for their first their first fight, uh, Joanna was minus 700, Rose was you know, plus three four hundred, whatever it was. My how the tables have turned after one fight. So tell me why it's justified on Rose.
1: Well, it's justified because, you know, when, when you think about a fluke, you think about Ankalaev versus Paul Craig, where, you know, Ankalaya, he's about to get a 30-26, and oh, with one second left, he got caught. that That's the definition of a fluke. But when someone gets dominated, you know, pillar to post, even though it was only about a two-minute fight, uh, there wasn't, it wasn't like Joanna was picking her shots and then she just got caught. It was a speed difference on Rose's side, a power difference, and also, I mean, if you haven't noticed, Joanna, it's not like she just became chinny overnight. She's been chinny for a long time. She's been dropped five times in her UFC career. Let's talk about that second fight with Claudia Gadelia. First 10 seconds of the fight, she gets dropped with a jab. I was like, oh, shit, she's chinny. Third round, she gets dropped with an elbow. Let's talk about the Carolina fight. Fourth round, she gets dropped with a straight right, not to the chin, to the nose. And then... And uh, it all adds up. And, you know, I was thinking, like, okay, you know, Joanna, she had this incredible run. She set significant strike records on all these girls' faces. She's the most exciting uh, women's champion we've ever had. She's a pioneer. Because as far as I'm concerned, man, she is the first strawweight champion. I, we don't count Carlos Barza as the first strawweight champion. We count Joanna jacek as the first ever strawweight champion. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, we, we called – uh, we call Ronda Rousey the, the Hoist Gracie of, of women's MMA. Well, you know, let's call let's call Joanna Yanjaichek the, the Chuck Liddell of Women's MMA. You know what I'm saying? She she's incredible. And but I was under the impression, like, okay, but she's so chinny. It's either gonna be Carolina or Jessica Andrade that dethrones her. So I actually went and I bet on Jessica Andrade. I thought the power was gonna be too much, but also I didn't take into consideration that Joanna is seven inches taller and she could just keep her at the end of her jab. I faded Joanna one fight too soon. All the problems I thought existed came out in the Rose fight. She's super chinny, and she was too slow for Rose Namajunas. Rose hit her with two clean left hooks. You know, a lot of people think the first knockdown was a right hand, and it wasn't a right hand. It was a left hook, and the right hand actually missed. And then the knockout punch was also a left hook. The speed was too much. Now, the reason I didn't bet Rose in that spot was because I was never that high on Rose. My My – opinion of Rose was always that she's very athletically gifted but I always kind of questioned her heart for some reason I thought there was something mental there was something mentally off of her because you know when she fought in Atlanta where I'm from against Carolina I took the plus 215 on Carolina and I cashed and then you come to find out that her fiance Pat Barry a week before the fight you know he's supposed to be in Minnesota helping Brock Lesnar for his training camp but he's actually getting you know, he's like a recovering alcoholic and all this shit. He's actually getting drunk at a bar and then getting arrested a week before her fight. And then he couldn't be in her corner. So, of course, you know, with, with women's MMA, of course that threw her off her game. And she, she looked like shit in that fight. Well, since that point, she took a year off. She comes back against the karate hottie who, you know, is kind of a joke. But, hey, if you're going to go in there with someone that's a joke, you better you better handle them accordingly. So what better way to handle handle them than the head kick, knock him out, and then choke him out You know, within five seconds span. So, yeah, she took care of Biz there. Then she goes in there with Joanna, and it was the best version we've ever seen. And I feel like we often forget. Rose Nama Yunus is only 25 years old. So at, once the mental met the physical, I, I think Sky really could be the limit because it seems like her mental game is on point now. And a point I made earlier on the show is that with a lot of these long-reigning champions, once they lose their belt – you know that's it, they had their run, they defended the belt X amount of times. That you know, she's the greatest champion in uh women's MMA history, but it, there's no going back that that's in the past now, and you don't ever see a champion after having a long reign come back and uh and, and reign again, man. It just doesn't work like that. So, I think Johanna is amazing, but I think the speed is going to be too much of Rose Namajunas. I think the athleticism and, you know, the question is, okay, but what happens if she doesn't put her way in the first round? What happens if uh, it goes the five-round distance? It's just that I feel like Joanna style is that stationary muay thai style i feel like she struggles with in and out athletic fighters which is what rose is and i've seen rose go the five round distance and beat the shit out of someone one before so her cardio isn't a question in my mind granted it was a punching bag named Paige van zamp but still she has she has that experience behind her so i simply think it's a case where where she has her number and like i said about these long-reigning champions once they lose that bell it's over you know like jose aldo he was he was invincible at one point. No one could ever beat Jose Aldo. Well, he's been knocked out in three of his last four fights. You know, a guy like Hannah Brow, he's on a 31-fight win streak. Now he's losing to Brian Keller, who, who, you know, half half your show has never heard of. You know what I'm saying? So well, once they get to that point, it, it's over. And and I think it truly is over for Joanna. Now, as far as your comment about it being minus 700 and now it being minus 125, okay. Well, firstly, it opened minus 485, but that's not the point. The point is that we all thought. Joanna was invincible. We all thought, oh, just throw her in a parlay. You're going to win. It's easy money. It's Joanna champion. I mean, let's not even watch tape. Let's just say, oh, it's Joanna champion versus the mentally weak girl. Oh, that's going to be easy money. Well, it turns out Rose got her mental game together, and her athleticism was always scary. The speed's too much. Joanna's been dropped five times in her UFC career. So I just don't see uh, Joanna being able to solve the puzzle here, and I think Rose is going to finish her again. All
0: right, bro. Well, you took some of my arguments away from me before I made them. So let me, let me come in on the other side here with, with Joanna. First of all, you touched on the fact she got dropped by Claudia, got dropped by Carolina, Andraj. Guess what she also did in all those fights? She won. She has shown the ability to be dropped and come back and win fights. Now, you touched on the fact that, you know, was it a fluke, was it not? She got dominated pillar to post. But you know who also got dominated pillar to post by something of, you know, what people thought was an inferior opponent? Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor. I wouldn't say that that fight was a fluke. I would say that Diaz had the fight of his life and won that fight pillar to post. Diaz was winning that fight regardless of when that... that, um, Uh, rear naked choke was applied he was going to win that fight regardless mcgregor had gassed i know that that this is a little bit different and again that kind of speaks to the short notice replacements and and things like that but to me when you open again i have a lot of respect for odds makers as i know that you do and when you open somebody minus which 485 um and now you're getting the discounted line at minus 125 to me that says a lot and you know Joanna's made this comment that you can't paint the Mona Lisa twice. And to me, I really agree with that. And it showed its head during the second fight of Connor and Diaz. And, you know, there's some people out there that think that Diaz won that second fight it's still. It. And at the end of the day, it's about wins and losses. And the fact is that they didn't. So from, you know, kind of next-level thinking here, number one, I'm getting a minus 485, which was fundamentally what the odds maker opened when these two people fight or fought um, at. And I still believe that that holds true because as you, Joanna is is chinny. There's no doubt about it. I cannot refute that. However, she has shown the ability to be chinny, get dropped, and come back in fights and win. Um, Rose, now this is what I wanted to touch on that didn't happen in the first fight because of what you said. Rose won that fight pillar to post from the opening bell until that last uh, right-left hook combo. And uh, to me, that says it was the perfect fight and it wasn't a fluke which i think almost helps her because rose never faced adversity for one single second in that fight do we know what you know if joanna had caught her or if you know she had never came back and you talked about rose front running in her mental makeup and to me i can't that's not somebody that i want to get in bed with long-term betting on Um, i know that joanna can come back and win fights i don't know that You know if joanna gets in front rose can come back and win that outside of a a quote-unquote puncher's chance and again to me this is something of a carbon copy of of what happened with mcgregor and diaz and i know it's apples and oranges it's it's women and men um but the situation just reminds me a lot a lot like that you know the line was similar to uh the fight with connor and me and then it came down in the second fight um you know The fact that Joanna is getting this rematch so quickly before Rose defends her belt, I also think speaks to the fact that internally the UFC views this as kind of a, you know what, Rose, it's not good enough for you to kind of go out there and have your best fight of your life and do it once and get out of there. I think that the UFC wants to see her prove it, which to me means that doesn't see that the UFC is completely sold on her of, of getting the job done. You know, like, you know, if, if again, it's apples and oranges, but Stipe dominated Ngannou pillar to post. If, Niga, if that fight had happened, right, and Ngannou had, there was a moment in the third or fourth round where Ngannou almost caught him with, like, his last gas punch effort. If that had happened, you would have seen Stipe and Ngannou, too, because what the, Stipe was clearly winning that fight, um, and that was the definition of, would have been the definition of a fluke. Uh, KO and by and I know that that's different here but this is again it speaks to the Diaz and McGregor situation of how this was you know uh, the fact that Rose isn't even getting to defend her belt against anybody that isn't Joanna makes me think that UFC kind of uses it as a fluke from a matchmaking perspective and wants to see Joanna do or wants to see Rose do it again over in Joanna if Joanna also wins this sets up uh possibly the first I don't know if it's the first would this be the first women's trilogy title fight uh in the UFC do you think it has to be right
1: yeah, it would be. And real quick, man, I think you make great points, especially about the overcoming adversity. I'm not going to argue with any of that. But the only thing I want to argue with is this: the immediate rematch thing. I don't. I, I disagree with you saying that they're making it because they think it's a fluke i think it's common practice when a long reigning champion loses uh the belt they they get that immediate rematch ronda would have got it but she didn't want to fight no more you you know the deal so with most of these champions when they're when they're long-range champions they lose that belt they they always get that immediate rematch bj penn frankie edgar so i I just think it's common practice brow aldo so yeah I, i just i just view that as common practice man
0: well, we've, we've kind of gone on a tangent on that, but I think it's good to hear both sides of that. So, again, good luck to anybody that bets that fight again. We obviously have different opinions. Uh, so, main event of the evening. What was supposed and and to... I respect
1: your opinion, win or lose.
0: <laughs> you as well, buddy. You as well. Uh, so, what was supposed to be uh, Khabib versus Ferguson. Big, sh- big shocker here. One way or another, a Khabib fight is changing. And for this time, it's not on Khabib and his weight cut, though. Um, in steps Max Holloway, and props to him for basically saving this event and making it uh, i don't know if it's if it's better um obviously the line is a little bit wider so in some sense uh people are all over or the odds maker is very heavily faving khabib here um i'll let you start with this one i think that first of all again i can't say enough props to max Holloway for for stepping in here and in, in doing this um this is kind of what the eventual winner would have gotten anyway so i mean The big loser here is obviously Ferguson because I don't know what the fuck he's going to do now, Um, but Khabib gets his shot. So where are you going here? Max Holloway, uh, plus 385 comeback, and Khabib, minus 485, and there's no round props up yet.
1: Man, again, it's a tough one because a couple things we mentioned on the show already, these short notice replacements, these letdown spots. You know, Khabib honestly should have turned down this fight, man, but it is for the belt, so, you know, you got to take it. But it's such a different opponent. You know, I think Max Holloway is a way better fighter than Tony Ferguson. I'm going to just go ahead and say that right now. I mean, you don't see Max Holloway getting dropped. opinion, but I completely agree with it. Uh, I think Max Holloway would beat Tony Ferguson's ass. Uh, you don't see Max Holloway getting dropped every single fight like you see with Tony Ferguson. You know, Tony Ferguson is kind of a sloppy fighter, but he's got so much heart. He's got such a will to win. He's so crafty that he's able to, you know— Take everything his opponents have and then come back and uh, finish the fight. But with Max, he puts on systematic dismantlings of his opponents. He's, like I said er, uh, earlier, he's a top three pound for pound talent, but so as could be, man. And it's really going to be interesting because the last time Max Holloway got taken down in a fight was 2014. You know, he's just a kid, right? So he's gotten so much fucking better than then, man. And he's still just a kid. What is he like? He's between 25 and 27 years old, something like that. Right. So, you know, he's making massive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So right, right, right on point. So, you know, he's getting better every single fight. He's already defended his belt at such a young age. And, What kind of shape was he in when he got this call? I want to know that because when you're fighting a guy like Khabib, you better be working your get-ups. You better be working that takedown defense. You better be working that wall walk. But at the same time, Max Holloway's style, he's a mover. He's so good at being elusive. He's so good at circling off. And Khabib, the way he closes the distance is unlike anything I've ever seen. I've never seen anyone pressure someone like the way Khabib pressures his opponents, and they just naturally break and wilt. Now, you recall early in that Michael Johnson fight, Michael Johnson was able to have some early success standing with Khabib, but eventually he wilted. And, you know, we've seen Michael Johnson wilt a thousand times. What I'm wondering here is, If we get the best version of Max Holloway, you know, because if we get some kind of diminished or injured version, you know, Khabib could just take him down and maul him. If we get the best version of Max Holloway, is he going to be able to circle off and pick apart Khabib? Because I know the best version of Max Holloway, he's he's a mover in there. He's a volume striker. uh, Volume striker. It's an accumulation style with Max Holloway. And his takedown defense has gotten so much better. You see that fight with Ricardo Lamas, and that was straight nuts on the forehead, man. He made him look like a child in there. But Khabib is a different animal than Ricardo Lamas. That's why it's intriguing, man. And you know, at, at the same time, when Khabib, let's say Khabib takes down Max Holloway, is the fight over then and there? It is. Holloway gonna be able to work back up to his feet. There's a lot of things I really don't know, and I don't want to sit here and be the guy that says, "Well, if it stays standing, Max is gonna win, and if it goes to the ground, Khabib is gonna win." Because come on, Max Holloway's on like a what, what fight win streak is he on? It's something between ten and twelve fight win streak in the UFC, which is like unheard of. But Khabib's on a goddamn twenty-five fight win streak, so. Yeah, so I mean, the shit's absolutely crazy, man. Um, I mean, you gotta favor Khabib. He's, you know, he's had the full training camp. This is his natural weight class. But Max Holloway isn't a guy you want to have action against, especially at minus four eighty five. If anything, take a take a small half unit, one unit shot on Max Holloway and hope that he's in the best shape of his life and come out here and rise to the occasion. Because you know, if he wins this fight. He's going to be the champ champ, right? He's going to do what McGregor did, which is hold two belts simultaneously in two different weight classes. It would be incredible. So I think it's super hard to predict. A lot of people are going to say Khabib's easy money, and he might be. He might be right. I really don't know because Max isn't a guy I count out. Max is a guy that I've won a lot of money on. You know, I remember when I bet him against jose aldo in brazil the first time as an underdog and it was a max bet at plus 115 so max is a money maker but so is khabib so sit back and enjoy this one
0: you know yeah bro so pressure 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 for anyone that hasn't watched khabib Nurmagomedov, Madoff, he's unlike any style or any fighter uh, on this ufc roster or within mixed martial arts in general way that he you talked about closing distance the pressure and the way that he moves forward on an opponent has never really been seen um again he's never lost in, in mixed martial arts um obviously undefeated in the ufc um undefeated in his life i mean 25 and 0 is no joke and we talk about people having to take that first loss and what we mean by that is you know sometimes these prospects come in they're super hyped um and they kind of they have to be humbled a bit and even when they have initial success. Nobody goes undefeated in this fight game. Uh, it just doesn't happen. Even the best fighters in the world get caught. That is to say, everyone except Khabib. Um, again, this, when I saw that it was plus 385 next to Matt Holl- about Max Holloway's name, I, I couldn't believe it. And not to say that that line isn't warranted. It's just fundamentally it looks so off. Um, as for a champion that's on a nine-fight win streak to be almost a 4-1 to one underdog. I don't know. I really don't. Uh, I could never tell somebody to bet minus 485 against Max Holloway the same way that you just said that. Um, and again, I know, I know it sounds like we're kind of wavering back and forth here, but this is, again, what we talked about with value. There is no doubt there is value on Max Holloway at plus 385. As a champion, underdog champions, again, 8-2 the last 10. Um, short notice, uh, again, you touched on all the success that short notice guys have had. Khabib again, obviously cardio freak, full fight camp. Um, I don't know exactly why Max Holloway took this fight, other than to say he was ready. He was already in the gym, kind of doing his thing, staying ready. I mean, I don't know how you can walk into a fight with Khabib Nurmagomedov seven days away or five days away, rather. Um, it's, it's just, it, it's. I don't know. You said that Khabib should have taken, shouldn't have taken this fight. I mean, Holloway again. Props for him doing this, but. It's a daunting task to have five days to get ready for that type of pressure. So, again, to use a, an overplayed um, analogy, gun to head, I would say Khabib, but not at that price. And, again, this is different than kind of the dog or pass to me. You touched on, I mean, again... Value is on Holloway, no doubt about it, and it sounds close, so cliche to say if it's standing, Holloway can out-volume in and out-point him, or if it goes to the ground, Khabib will lay on him. Um, I'm interested to see what this round prop will come out at. Um, the 3.5 when it was Ferguson was like minus 120, so it was fully in range, um, but I mean, Khabib fights traditionally do not go under. Um, they, they usually always go over outside of uh, the one, that, the submission, which again was Michael Johnson, but that was, again so cash that over a funny
1: story so this is funny you know khabib fights never go under but he he had this one fight against this kid daryl horcher and that's the only time in my life i've ever bet a khabib under and it fucking cashed
0: (laughs) good for you bro that's 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 (laughs) the unicorn that's that's like betting a uh Tisha torres under and it cashing you know
1: also, real co- oh, yeah, she did that against Juliana Lima. So whoever did that, congrats. Uh, we, we made a mistake. Uh, Holloway's on a 12-fight win streak. Oh, what did
0: he? Oh, he must have got the ballots looking at UFC. Uh, yeah, so 12-fight win streak. I mean that's at plus 385. I mean that's the definition of value. But it takes some stones to fade. A 25-0 could be America made Madoff fighting for the title. Um, this is everything that, that he's ever won. He's the best fighter in the world to never win one, so – Sit back and enjoy that is, is kind of where we're, where we're leaning and, and kind of everything with that. But we did it, bro. We broke down UFC 223. Um, again, props to you for coming out. Is there anything you want to touch on with this, this event? Um, I know you kind of do the fighter to watch, fight, stu- uh, fight to watch on your podcast. Um, so I want you to plug that. You're going to break down every single fight in, in amazing detail, as only you and, and your boy Shaq can do. So uh, go ahead and plug your podcast, plug um, the business and everything that you got going on as well, bro.
1: Well, firstly, man, thank you so much for having me on here. You know, I'm a longtime fan of yours. This was absolutely awesome. hope we get to do it again soon. To all your fans and listeners, thank you guys for listening to this as well. I have a podcast. It's called Half the Battle, and you can find it anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just type in Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. It'll be there. If you're interested in my picks, just go to bestfightpicks.com. And now until about May 1st, Use the promo code Matador, M-A-T-A-D-O-R, to save 15% off any package because we're sponsoring Emmanuel Sanchez, who's in the co-main event of the Bellator 198 card. He's fighting Sam Cecilia. So our promo code for him is Matador. Save 15% off any package. But, again, check out my podcast, Half the Battle, and Christian, man, thank you so much, brother. It's been an absolute pleasure. we got to do it again soon, man.
2: Absolutely, brother. Thank
0: you. Cannot thank you enough for coming on and and kind of getting people um, involved in this niche market because I think there's a lot of money to be made if you know what you're doing. And again, the reason that I wanted to have you and only you come on to do this type of UFC event is you do things the right way in an industry that is notorious for doing things the wrong way, bro. So again, I wish you nothing but the most... Uh, continued success and, again, three-year track record. Um, The the man has proven himself way more than he ever had to. Um, So, again, bro, thank you so much for coming on, and we will do this again soon, I promise, buddy. Thank you again.
1: Thank you, bro. And, again, I forgot to tell your fans I'm on Twitter at Best Fight Picks, so you want to follow me and hit me up, Best Fight Picks.